Scott Oath. I'm a Boundary Waters lover, a wilderness guide, and also a financial advisor. I volunteer monthly to come on WTIP and do radio features, one called Pack and Paddle, where I talk about wilderness skills and Boundary Waters life, and another called Money Matters, where I talk about uh, personal financial tips. My wife and I own Bull Moose Patrol, where we guide wilderness trips and teach outdoor skills. Particular passions are canoe camping, winter camping, and wilderness survival. With Bull Moose Patrol, uh, one of the things I really enjoy, I'm very drawn to the traditional skills of the North Woods, canoe poling, the elusive Canadian stroke, reflector oven baking, lighting fires with bow drill, all these fun traditional type techniques. And where possible, I like to try and wrap those in and teach those skills. So I'd love to have you follow along in our WTIP programs, Pack and Paddle and Money Matters. The past sessions are recorded on the WTIP sites and also on my personal site, scottoath.com for personal finance and bullmoosepatrol.com for outdoors. Proud to support the Boundary Waters in this podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experiences were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool, it was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars, I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to a very special holiday, episode 36 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm recording live in the Boundary Waters with my good friend and co-host, Joe Fredericks. Well, I'm out here socially distanced. Hopefully the sound's picking up. We're spaced out. Should be working pretty well. We've got two camps going out here for today's episode. It's a little different... uh, as it has been since the last time we were out in the winter. Uh, a new way of imagining being out in the wilderness. Physical distance, not necessarily social distance. We've been looking forward to a trip out on Thanksgiving in the Boundary Waters for quite some time. And we modified those plans. Obviously, the pandemic at this point is nothing new. But uh, the numbers have been going up here in the state of Minnesota, and including up here in in our region where we live, mm-hmm. and so we we went from one tent and four people to two tents and three people. <laughs> well, we lost one along the way. Yeah. <laughs> so we made it happen, and it's it's been you know there's been some challenges, but it's been the boundary water still looks the same. I'll tell you that much. Indeed, it's just as beautiful, if not more beautiful than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a great episode lined up today. Uh, a little later in the episode, uh, you're going to hear an update, a uh, conversation between myself and Alex Falconer, uh, uh, advocate for the Boundary Waters and trail runner, 
You're going to hear all about his uh, ongoing saga to run, uh, trail run, all the backpacking trails of over 20 miles through the Boundary Waters. We're going to get an update on that and hear about his holidays with him and his family. And if it sounds like uh, that's familiar, it is. He's been on a recent episode, but there was a need to do a follow-up because it was a bit of a cliffhanger. So it's the follow-up to that. It's kind of a part one, part two, basically. Indeed. And I think to start off this first part of today's episode, uh, we did what everybody does to start their trip into the wilderness. We drove to our entry point through uh, snow-covered roads. I saw a snowshoe hair all covered in white and transformed into its winter glory. And I think you saw some wildlife too, didn't you, Joe? Well, From the safety of your vehicle. Yep, yeah, we took two vehicles too, getting up here to up the Sawbill Trail. I saw that snowshoe hare, uh, saw a bald eagle soaring over. Oh yeah, I saw that too. Nice, and uh, saw maybe a turkey. But anyway, we've we've made the the most of getting out here. It's been. Varying conditions. We had some snow and just, you know, there's about four inches of good solid ice. We got a trip report or an ice report from uh, Dan Shirley. Big thanks to Dan for his support uh, as far as guidance on this episode. He tipped us off on a good lake to go check out off a of sawbill and was checking out some ice depth for us so we wouldn't be driving, you know, 50 miles only to find open water or an inch of ice or something. And just to set up how perfect this timing was, I mean, Joe was out last weekend. Lindsay and I were out last weekend uh, I, seeking out the best black ice skating uh, that we could find. And really, a week ago, less no, five days ago, mm-hmm. we were skating on two inches of black ice and wondering if we would be able to come out for well, this trip. Exactly, and even more so... We went to Brule. Oh, big, that's right. We did, didn't big we? Big Lake. Last Saturday. And which isn't too far away from here. And there was about an, there started off with about four inches in that first, right at the launch there. Then about an inch and then some open water beyond. So yeah. we were really wondering where we'd go or if the trip was going to happen at that point. Yeah. And, and, and so to have the encouragement of Dan Shirley and, uh, um, sort of peace of mind that this come all the way up here and and get on the get on the lake was a great way to get us started. Uh, packed up the sleds uh, and began our slog down Sawbill Lake. Yeah. So Dan and his wife Claire own Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. They run it, and it was uh, Sawbill was pretty good cruising. Had some challenges on the porch because there wasn't enough snow, actually, and just kind of battling rocks and structure that normally in the winter you can kind of just breeze right over that stuff. So it was an uneven trail pulling a sled, in other words. Exactly, and, uh, you know, we did choose, because it is the holiday, to bring some extra special luxuries Mm -hmm. in regards to food and, and amenities, and so... There's a little extra weight in the sleds, I think, for this trip. Yeah. Uh, definitely, I would say, in my sled. So, uh, you know, it's always a fun 
experience in the winter to be out in the freezing temperatures and be sweating. Yep. It's one of the things I've come to love. I remember the first time we we I was out in the winter overnight trip and getting so sweaty and I was kind of freaking out a little bit like how am I going to get dry and but it it works out and it's and it's nice to push to push hard through those those situations. Yeah. And it's the now the day after Thanksgiving, so we're going to do a quick jump back into Thanksgiving Day. As we said, we got two different camps and we brought out some communication between the two. Uh, I stayed in an insulated Eskimo in my ice fishing shack basically. Yeah, it pretty much looks like an Ever, you know, Everest base camp <laughs> tent. It's got this sort of space craft feel to it. Yeah. It's nice. Oh yeah, and staying pretty cozy in there and uh you got the snow trekker tent, you and Lindsay. Uh, such a it's like a a portable cabin in the woods. I've probably said that too many times now, but so nice. You got the wood stove going and so we're gonna jump back to uh Thanksgiving Eve and hang out on uh on the ice with us here. Well, Lindsay, we got a fire going and our wood stove here in this little snow tracker tent on one of the beautiful campsites on Smoke Lake. Yeah. And uh, in our little hot tent, we have our two cots uh, pushed up together side by side. We've got all sorts of socks and layers hanging from the snow trekker tent poles on the opposite corner we have our well you're inherited from your parents coleman propane stove double burner that we lugged out here for a very special occasion what occasion is that well i'm gonna call it a day of gratitude indeed i like that for Many people listen to this podcast. They may know this holiday season to be a time of the Thanksgiving holiday. For us, it's a day of gratitude. Um, for others, it means lots of different things. And most particularly, right now, it means we're in the Boundary Waters. Yeah. I was going to add, for some, it's a day of mourning. So it's kind of different for everyone. Indeed. Yeah, maybe we can talk about, explain that a little bit in a bit, what that means. Uh, but for now, uh, for both of us, this is our first November camping in the Boundary Waters. And for you, it's your first time ever overnight camping in the winter. Yes, on purpose. I definitely have been out in the Boundary Waters late season and woken up to winter, but that wasn't planned. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yes, this is my first time intentionally being out in the winter, winter camping in a hot tent. What's it been like for you? It's been lovely. I'm thankful that it is, um, I'm using quotation marks right now, warm. Um, it's a, been a warm winter. Yeah. Uh, I guess well, it's not it's, even winter yet, is it? No, I guess it's not even technically winter yet, but 
It feels like it. So it's been really lovely. It's been absolutely beautiful. Just a beautiful, you know, hike slash ski out here. And the sun's been shining today. The snow, there's some fresh snow covering everything. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, really, there's been there's a lot of happening in the food front. So we're up here in on the land base in the snow trekker. Joe's down in the lake base in the ice house. And we both have all of our food that we've brought to celebrate our time out here. And uh, Lindsay, in true fashion, you take the most joy in planning menus for wilderness trips. So what did you plan for this holiday wilderness trip? Um, it's true. I do. I love cooking. It's, you know, one of my creative outlets and a passion of mine. So I love being able to prep food for going out into the wilderness because it uh, challenges me. And... Um, I'm vegan, so we have here with us some vegan Beyond Meat sausages. We have some dehydrated potatoes, um, some cornbread, and... and a, homemade cornbread you made the night before we came out here. Yep, that's true. Yep, homemade cornbread made the night before with some uh, local maple syrup, of course, added to it, and some asparagus. And then hot chocolate for dessert if we feel like it yeah well, i mean it's definitely feels like a feast out here uh joe's got all sorts of food that he's brought along too maybe he'll tell us about it in uh, just a minute here actually we have a little radio set up uh so we can correspond uh between the two camps and uh joe should be chiming in here shortly um but uh lindsay i know one of the the elements of being out here that you've uh, dove into is a lot more firewood than you normally have to gather. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what that's like and what that means to you to <laughs> have firewood. Well, um, unfortunately, I, I have a condition that um, my extremities become cold really easily and... Uh, Therefore, that's why I probably don't winter camp a lot because it's something that I think could actually be dangerous for me. So uh, I'm excited to be out here early in the season when it's still warm enough. But yeah, a lot. I think it's really important and necessary to process a lot of firewood in order to stay warm and comfortable. And the nice part about processing firewood, it also keeps you warm. So, yeah. So... Uh, do you have a, a method to the madness of gathering firewood that you've figured out thus far? I mean, it's kind of nice because we don't you don't have to get in a canoe and go paddle around to get wood in, in a well-trafficked area like this. If we were in canoes, we'd probably paddle off to the, the island and look for firewood. So what do you got going on now? Well, instead of paddling to find the firewood, we've just been walking across a lake to a nice island uh, there isn't a ton of firewood in our campsite, so we've walked over to an island and found a lot of dead down trees that I've been pulling out of the woods, and you've been as well, and we have an axe and a saw with us, and just processing it all, and 
Piling it up. Piling it up for good use. We got a pile inside our tent and a pile outside of our tent. And it seems to be a constant thing. Like, if you have a little bit of free time, run out, process some wood. So, Well, there's nothing but free time out here <laughs> on this trip. I mean, it's hard to take a break from cooking and uh, snacking and reading. Uh, even I think you took a little nap at one point, didn't you? Uh, I think I maybe did. I can't remember if I snoozed off. I was attempting to read a good book and I might have, I might have rested my eyes for a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the nice things about being out here is it's, it's really relaxing and it's quiet. Oh. Ice tent to hot tent. Do copy. Over. Uh, hot tent. I copy. Loud and clear. Uh, go ahead, ice tent. What's your setup down there, uh, Ice House? Well, I've got uh, tip up down and Vexlar uh, running. Got a jig on uh, ice fishing rod, but I think I'm just distracted by the fact that I'm out here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been a pretty beautiful day, hasn't it, Joe? Well, as we've been discussing, we got the wood stove blazing and the stove all set up and going. And, uh, yeah, we're just kind of settling into the relaxation and the gratitude of it all. Because, you know, we are celebrating a day of gratitude, aren't we? Yeah, I got to tell you, I was uh, thinking over here about how, how grateful I am to be in, uh, out here, of course, but also just so grateful to live in a, a place where we have access to this kind of amazing wilderness and thinking that uh, yeah, I hope other people keep in mind for years to come that uh, you know we need to keep this place in this pristine way that it is, this natural just abundance of beauty that we have here in northeastern Minnesota, the Boundary Waters. I'm just so grateful to be out here and have made a few trips out this year reflecting on that, but also just really grateful for family and loved ones and also uh to you back there at your camp oh <laughs> well ice house i can speak for everybody up here at land camp and the uh snow trekker that uh, we're grateful for you too and not to mention uh speaking of this pristine wilderness there's been another uh, mammal that has been along this journey with us. We haven't seen it, but we've seen evidence of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, we saw a bunch of wolf tracks on the way out. Uh, is that what you're referencing? Wolf tracks? Yes, indeed. Uh, large wolf tracks, uh, wouldn't you say? Oh, certainly probably bigger than my hand or the size of. Not, you know, I mean, just to put it in the context, I'd say I've got some massive paw or something. But, uh, yeah, big wolf tracks, and I am imagining we might hear some howls tonight if we have the right kind of ears. 
well, I think there was a book that said, let them have ears to hear, and I think we shall. And if we don't hear them ourselves, maybe we'll just have to call out for them tonight under the starry sky and the uh, waxing moon. I like what you're thinking here. I'm going to be staying up late, I can assure you, I can assure you of that, because uh, this could be one of those lakes where the bite is in the evening. It's a clear water lake, so I'm planning to stay up late. In fact, I'm going to throw on a pot of coffee right now. Well, Joe, this is definitely the strangest conversation I've had in the wilderness and for this podcast, uh, but I'm glad that we can all be out here together, uh, even from this physical distance, still being socially close. Uh, anything you want to chime in on here? Well, just to reiterate how grateful I am to be out here, have the health and the means to get out here. I just It's been a year, but this is a great way to take stock of where we're at as the team on the podcast and uh, just myself personally as well. So I'm, I'm just very grateful today to be out here and be fishing on Thanksgiving and know that you guys are just a CB radio away if I need some help. Oh, heck yeah, buddy. And actually, uh, I'm probably going to be heading your way to uh, check on your tip-ups and check on your setup and make sure you haven't overdosed on coffee or having some sort of, uh, you know, reaction down there. I love coffee and I love ice fishing. <laughs> and the Boundary Waters. All right, happy Thanksgiving. Glad to be out here. Talk to you later. Bye, Joe. Well, that was an experience for sure. That was fun. Matthew, can I ask you a question? Sure, go ahead. How has it been for you so far to be out here? Hmm. Great. Great doesn't seem to be an accurate word, but, you know, the schlagen was a little harder than, excuse me, than I expected you know, bringing such lavish things like the Coleman propane stove and uh, that chair you're sitting in right now and, you know, a few extra heavy things I think made it a a little more intense than I expected or maybe it's always this intense and I just forget from year to year. Um, but getting out here and, you know, I just get so full of this is a combination of settled peaceful contentment mixed in with just like everywhere I look I want to go get closer to it so every little nook and cranny of the bays and the portages you know I I skied from here to burnt and up into flame just by myself and I was just in bliss um just it, it's just so cool how many ways there are to get around you know by your own uh just using your own body and just the uh the high of movement and movement through the wilderness and following different tracks and you know it was coming around on my way back around the point and the wind was howling and I was just telling you earlier you know it was I was pretty warm but when that wind hit me I got sort of the equivalent of an ice cream headache 
on the on my head just the way it was whipping all the heat right off of it and then and then i hear a and you know look up and there's this raven just dancing in the wind just almost doing somersaults basically i think it was just showing off for me but yeah it's so it's it's one of my favorite things in the whole world Mm-hmm. and i think along that line i you know probably worth saying what we're grateful for too huh yeah joe chimed in on for himself yeah you got anything you want to throw down well i'm also grateful for joe mm. and you oh shucks good adventure explorer buddies and uh Grateful for Joe's wife, Maggie, who couldn't be out here with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I'm feeling really grateful. You know, Joe mentioned it's been a tough year, and it has been. Mm-hmm. And I just feel incredibly grateful for having such a lovely community of chosen family um, here in, yeah. in Cook County. And I'm grateful for you know, my health and, uh, yeah, I just feel like there's so much, it, it almost feels difficult to name it all and grateful for this wilderness. Yeah. 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 You know, I always have to be careful not to get on my soapbox, but one of the things that I've been reflecting on a lot in the last month is, you know, I think it's so easy at times to get locked into this mindset of scarcity Mm. you know that uh, you know we live in sort of a society that well we live in an economy that operates off of scarcity to create value and and you know just sort of my own little act of rebellion to that has been to to live in abundance and see the abundance not the scarcity the abundance of everything of love of relationships of um of resources, of people, of places, of all kinds. And, you know, it's, I'm grateful for the abundance, you know, uh, that there is of all of those things. Um, and that I have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it and the, you know, this body that I have to experience it. And I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, I know this has been a year of tremendous loss as well, and I don't want to downplay that. Yeah. Um, and in reflection on that, you know, one of the big losses we all experienced was that of Janice. Yep. Janice Matichuk, and she's been heavy on our hearts and um, minds and in our storytelling. And, you know, since Joe's not here uh, to keep me from saying this, uh, you know, his his book... Uh, about the life of Janice and, and as a Quetico ranger and of who she is is um, is on sale now. I know. I know. You can purchase it locally too uh, if you want to support a local bookstore at Drury Lane Books in Grand Marais. Yeah, it's available for pre-order too. It should be out here soon. It will be out by the time the this episode airs, and and I just can't think of a a better human to sort of settle into gratitude around right now and yeah yeah i was gonna say i think i think janice has been out here 
with us mm. for sure. Mm. Yeah, I felt her, felt her energy. Well, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, Lindsay, that uh, I think it's worth just spending a little bit of time talking about here before we get back to preparing all, all this wonderful festivities we have planned uh, and before I throw a few, little more wood in the stove, um, this whole idea of Thanksgiving and that's a really complex holiday for lots of people. Um, it certainly has been a story that's been told in our dominant culture for a long time in a certain way. Uh, it's It's been told in a way that I think has fostered a lot of beautiful things and families and uh, celebrations year after year. Um, but there's some, you know, a lot of parts of this Thanksgiving story and there's a lot of voices that are left out. And uh, you and I thought it would be nice to um, do some recognizing of some of those voices that are left out of this holiday and the significance of those. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I think that is important. You know, I did, did some reading, as did you, I know, kind of coming up to this season. And one of the things I read is one of the most powerful things you can do. And, and really, we're talking about the voice of the indigenous people and uh, the the significance of our our dominant modern culture came to this land and um you know really did just that dominated the place and uh and because of that these other voices that are very much here still mm -hmm. very much relevant in our lives especially here where we live but in many other places go unacknowledged and you know, it's interesting to be in the Boundary Water specifically right now and talk mm -hmm. about that. So so land acknowledgments is a powerful thing. You know, this is currently the Boundary Waters, currently managed by the country of the United States. But it's silly to think that it's always been that way and that it will always be that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it, in this region, um, anybody who's been up here and seen the, the, pit, the pictographs, uh, are going to know that, obviously see the evidence of early humans in this area. So you've got this whole paleo, uh, what they call paleo-Indian culture, um, early woodland peoples uh, that existed here and inhabited here. And the land was different then, you know, a little bit. There's caribou, it was pre-logging, you know, but they sustained their lives off the land and in their communities for a really long time. Um, and as we know from history as we move forward that um, there were Sioux in mm -hmm. this area uh, and uh, they migrated westward, especially when the Ojibwe uh, came into this area and yeah. they, they came through the Great Lakes and um, up in on the Pigeon River uh, region is a significant place of uh, that area and those peoples, but they're known to us now as the Lake Superior Band of uh, Anishinaabe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they've certainly frequented this area as part of their uh, yearly uh, sort of migratory patterns to sustain themselves between these waters and Lake Superior waters. Um, 
not only did they exist in the past, but they very much still exist. They are our friends. They are our neighbors here. Yeah. Um, they, they're they a, a vibrant part of our community even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just think it's an incredibly important to acknowledge kind of what you already said is, yes, to some this is called the Boundary Waters Canoe Area, but this is also Anishinaabe land. And colonization has changed it a lot you know and the french voyagers changed it a lot and logging has changed it and the boundary waters canoe area act changed it too and even displaced many many indigenous people you know i understand that the wilderness act was put in place to protect the wilderness but it also had consequences to it as well yeah, I know you were first sort of exposed to some of that through reading uh, Justine Kerfoot's books. Books when yep. when we first moved up here uh, quite a few years ago, uh, and she had a a very real time experience with her indigenous counterparts uh, describing some of that. Yeah, I mean, it, she is a white woman, so it was her perspective, but she also did speak. Um, and write about, you know, her indigenous friends and neighbors and and uh, some of the experiences she witnessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a, a people's history uh, on this region, uh, a great resource you can pick up would be uh, Walking the Old Road. Uh, and I think we have that along with us, don't we? Uh, yes, we do. That's St- Stacy Drillard's book. That that focuses a little bit more on Chippewa City, which is which was um, you know near Grand Marais, but it it definitely tells a a part of a part of the history here from an indigenous perspective. Um, not so much focused on the Boundary Waters, though. But it is a great book, and I highly recommend it. Anything else you want to say about that, Lindsay? Um, well, I did want to just add one more thing of kind of, uh, you know, acknowledging the way that colonization has kind of changed, um, changed the boundary waters and changed how it is seen and accessed. But, you know, that even is continuing today. If you think about like the twin metals mine, you know, that's continuing to uh, pose a threat and uh, possibly could drastically change the boundary waters. You know, that's just another mm-hmm. kind of piece of this, of of the story that we also have to recognize. Most definitely. And, and I think that's the most important thing to remember is that, you know, especially when we think about a holiday like Thanksgiving and we expand our, our history and our awareness and our truth-telling around it, uh, that actually history is not relegated to the past and people mm-hmm. aren't relegated to the past. Um, this, we are, we are a part of history even now mm-hmm. and the way that we make our choices to, um, to honor the land or not, to honor the people or not, mm-hmm. uh, that it will be the history mm-hmm. uh, of this place. And I, I think back to Claire Campbell's uh, interview that we did in the last episode. What kind of ancestor do you want to be? And uh, I can only speak for myself, but on this Thanksgiving Day, 
I want to be an ancestor that honors the land and the people and does that for the generations to come. Yeah. I think I want to be a type of ancestor that recognizes that as a white person with a lot of privilege, I, I have a, a lot. I have learned a lot and I still have a lot to learn in um, undoing some of the false narratives I was taught and recognizing all the different aspects of, um, you know, the full picture of a true story. Well said. You know, I, this, I'm really loving this conversation, but I'm hearing a lot of banging around coming down from the lake. I know. I think either Joe <laughs> has got a fish or he has indeed overdosed on caffeine. Uh-huh. Why don't we go check on him? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Happy Day of Gratitude, everybody. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Alex Falconer. Alex, it's been a couple of months since we talked last about your epic trail run, through run of the border route trail, and you've continued to be busy since then. So welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be back. Uh, For anybody who didn't Uh, get to hear our last interview with you. Could you just maybe reintroduce yourself uh, and kind of what you're excited to uh, share with us today? Yeah, I'm Alex Falconer. I'm the government relations manager for uh, the Save the Boundary Waters campaign. And in my spare time, I love trail running. Um, And we're fortunate enough in Minnesota to have, in particular, the Northwoods and the Superior Hiking Trail and these iconic uh, typically backpacking routes through the Boundary Waters, um, and I've I've taken on a, a personal project to to run all the major trails in the wilderness uh, as a way to highlight uh, the threat of of sulfur copper mining to the Boundary Waters uh, within the trail running community. Yeah, which is all so very exciting, and in the context of our Boundary Waters community, this is kind of a new horizon for, I think, the national um, perception of this wilderness area. It sounds like from our other conversations that that in of itself is part of uh, the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Boundary Waters, obviously, uh, it's canoe country for a reason. It's 1,100 lakes and all that interconnected by rivers and streams and marshes and all that connected by portages over, you know, land to the next lake, um, and so. But there are these these backpack routes, and there are the, the that can. And I've I've done it. They're they're able to be run um, slower than than a lot of running, but uh, they are good kind of trail running routes. And so, it's a it is a completely unique way to kind of cross canoe country um, by foot. So when you if you run a, a route that's kind of a, a highly known route, and you get a, a fastest own time on FKT. Um, there's a website where you can log that and then kind of give a, a route description and uh, and your trip report and you know share pictures and your experience. Uh, already, you know, I had the FKT on the, the the border route trail, and then within I think two weeks, somebody else uh, had run it and beat my time by like 46 minutes. And then 
likewise on one of the snowbank runs that I did, um, a woman who was following my runs on Instagram was inspired about it and she ran one of them as well. And so she set the the female record. And so it's just kind of, it's just neat to just see already people are taking note and also making their own runs and, and getting to experience it um, in this way as well. Well, if you wouldn't mind, Alex, uh, tell us about your powwow trail run. If you could just give us a little insight into what what that was like, how that was similar or different than the border route um, and some of your highlights or challenges along the way. Yeah. Um, so the Powell Trail, is, it's, it's got a unique history. Um, it's built in an area that used to be a, a, a logging area. Um, you know, a lot of the wilderness was reclaimed as wilderness. It had been built up or it had been logged off. Uh, and so there's this, there's a, an old site where there's a logging camp and that's now the, the trailhead parking lot. Um, and then immediately right there, the, the trail begins and the parking lots basically right at the border of the wilderness. Um, but then also, in, so it's, it's relatively flat. The trail starts out on old logging roads. So it's the first eight or so miles. Um, it, it, it's in a, a it's, I call it a lollipop loop. Like there's a stick element where you you go out and back on that, but then it, it does a loop and then comes back on that, the lollipop stick. Mm-hmm. So it starts out on this, on this road. And then I ran it clockwise. So headed West first. Uh, and then a couple miles after that, the, what would have been a road turns into more tr- actual kind of traditional trail. Um, but also, uh, so that's kind of the, the history of where the trail is. But then in 2011, uh, there was the Pagami Creek fire, this giant fire in the southern, southern central part of the wilderness. And it burnt off more than 95, or about 95% of the, of the trail itself. Mm-hmm. And it's been relatively unusable until the past year or so. Um, not only was the trail scalped off, and so just, you know, people kind of lost, lost the ability to follow the path, but um, as the trees that burned uh, that didn't, you know, end up in ashes over time, the, they're dead, so they would just fall and just completely obscure the trail even further. Um, and so there's been, there's a, a volunteer group called the Boundary Waters Advisory Committee, uh, BWAC uh, for short, uh, and they've been spending the last couple of years completely rehabbing the trail, and they've almost got it complete. Um, and so it was exciting just to see these volunteer crews, and I passed two of them when I ran it, um, out clearing the trail. Uh, there's just going to be a, a constant uh, need to, after every winter, especially with the, with the snow and the wind, taking trees down to, to open up the trail again every season, um, as well as it was a jack pine forest, and jack pines regrow uh, you know, as part of their natural cycle is having a forest fire. Uh, their pine cones are very thick, uh, covered in this this resin, um, wax waxy substance that needs fire to open them up. And the forest is completely <laughs> regrowing, and and uh, where it was an old jack pine forest, and then it was kind of burnt off and almost moonscaped. It's now uh, five six foot tall, uh, really thick, dense new jack pine forest regrowing. So it's a completely unique thing because you're watching the the evolution of a trail of this this part of the forest coming back after after the fire so it's really it's it's just fun to see that in real time um there's a couple of sections of the trail 
they call them green zones, which weren't affected. Uh, there's one that's a really lush cedar forest, old growth cedar. Uh, a couple others are black spruce and some red pine um, stands. Um, but so it's 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 kind of devastating, as uh, I think I said in the last podcast. I'm a I'm a big tree guy. You know, I like I actually do stop and give giant old sentinels of the forest a hug and a, a high five and <laughs> thank yeah. them for doing their thing. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's hard to see it's hard to see what what it was compared to what it is now. But I mean, that's also nature's way. It was a naturally started fire lightning strike, and that's just how it goes. And so the force is coming back. And what a contrast to the border route trail, which yeah. is a lot of old growth white pine, um, some really, I mean, I know it's still not the same after the blowdown in that region, parts of that region, but much more of a, an open understory. Yeah. It, and, and you're t describing, you know, thick, uh, dense, um, understory that you're navigating. And I, and I think for many folks who have are familiar with the powwow trail, um, from, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the book, but the, um, I guess lost in the wilderness or something similar to that mm -hmm. about the backpacker who got lost in that network of convoluted, um, logging roads and trails, um, it sounds like it, it already has become a very different place from a trail traveler's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, you would still, you still need to have a GPS uh, with a map loaded on it to really navigate it. There's some places where, I mean, there's, there's, there were several times just looking back at my, my route map uh, where I, I definitely was off where I should have been. Um, mm -hmm. There's, there's part of the trail too, I guess in 1995, there was a fire. And so part of it burnt twice. And in those spots, the, the jack pines that were growing back weren't old enough to produce pine cones. And so they, that hasn't grown back at all. And the trail is, you're following it basically on by rock cairns or um, ribbon tape that the crews have put up. Um, and hopefully over time, as people kind of figure out the best <laughs> ways to go from point A to point B of these rock cairns, a, a new trail will develop in the ground. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a different trail than any other, and it's actually I think that technically the hardest trail, in a, a technical sense, in, in trail running, just meaning how how difficult the trail is um, to traverse. Uh, from I mean, there was parts of it where the the crews hadn't gotten to it, and it was literally, I think, for one point, it took me a couple hours to cross to pass uh, three or so miles, just because it was it, it was just it was like a an adult playground uh, <laughs> for masochists. It was just <laughs> climbing over dead tree after dead tree after dead tree after dead tree, or, or climb or ducking under them, or just trying to get around it. Um, and then one spot, I mean, I, I don't know if this was the the intent of the trail, but a tree fell down. One of the old dead trees fell down, and that's the new path. You have to kind of walk along this dead tree because it cleared a spot <laughs> by trampling the other new growth underneath it. Um, that's just become the 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 trail at that point. It's it's just a completely different, completely different um, than any of the other ones. Yeah, which I mean is pretty incredible. And you know, I imagine given the nature of this, uh, it poses a you know much different challenges that you're describing from a trail running perspective and 
maybe it doesn't have all, it, the same fun factor as some of the <laughs> other <laughs> trails that you'll be running and have been running. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's the there's the notion of of uh, in wilderness exploration or just outdoor recreation of type two fun, where something is incredibly hard and challenging when you're in the middle of it. Um, but when you look back on it, hey, that was pretty fun. I got through it. Yes. Um, so it's definitely a lot of this trail is type two fun. I mean, it was it was a a, a brutal trail in a lot of aspects. Um, but at the same time, just I was just appreciative of, of where I was in the moment and what I was witnessing and the fact that, you know, these two trail, these two trail crews that I passed, they were so appreciative that I was just out running it. Um, I let the, the BWAC people know that I was doing it and they, they're like, Hey Alex, you know, good job going. Um, mm. So they recognized me when I came by. Um, and there was also another group of, I think five people They're they're actually doing a, a backpacking trip on it. And so it is, it is usable. It's hard to cross, but it can be done. And that's just part of wilderness travel. You know, it, the, the trail is what it is and you have to keep going. There's literally nowhere to turn around. <laughs> mm. um, and that's part of the experience. So a huge thanks then to those crews and those volunteers. I know there's been a few really instrumental folks that are committed to that trail loop that have mm -hmm. dedicated lots of time. Uh, so it's worth recognizing all their efforts <laughs> for this, yeah. to make this yeah. possible for you. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know if it holds out maybe in this, in the boundary, in the powwow trail, it's even, it's even more, but uh, somebody, there was some quote of for every, for every minute you're on the trail, somebody worked an hour to clean that up. Wow. Um, and it just, it really, I think that just illustrates how much work it goes to maintaining these things. And especially in the wilderness where you get trees falling and, and they have to, they can't chainsaw them out. They have to come out with big saws, crosscut saws and work in these teams. And it's just, it's so much work. And so, yeah, absolute appreciation and love for the volunteers that have, that have cleaned up all these trails and, and brought them back um, from, from destruction, you know, around the snowbank area and on the Western side of the Keck that was big blowdown area and in 2016 and that those are all cleaned up and it's just the volume of work that they had to do that. Um, so that, you know, and relatively not a lot of people, um, can still go out and, and hike or now run. Um, it's a, it's a big deal. So yeah, a lot of love and appreciation for them. Uh, I, I think that's a great, I mean, unless you have anything else you want to share with us about the powwow, I think that's a great um, transition into this process of evaluating your Keck run. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then after the, after the powwow, the plan was to run the Keck again, um, just to you know do it again, see it a year later. Um, there was parts of the trail I was curious about because last year it was, it was flooded and it was a drier year this year just to kind of get a sense of how the water flows and, and pools up and help me help inform my future running in that area um but snow winter came early in minnesota and it snowed heavy and a lot in october um, up north um kind of out of nowhere and i had this i had this weekend picked out that worked in our schedules and we we're going to be up there um but it snowed the week ahead of time and then it kind of warmed up so it was was kind of excited about it. It's like maybe it's gonna work, um, and then it snowed again, <laughs> mm -hmm. and 
just given how the the CAC, you know, compared to the BRT, the CAC is much of a lower lying trail. The BRT is known for climbing up the side of the Palisades and, and the vistas uh, that you get. The, the CAC is more like in the valleys, really, and along more marshy areas. Um, and so if it's 33 degrees and stuff is melting uh, and we have, you know, six inches of snow in places, um, just the, the potential for danger was too much. I didn't want to step into a, into a marsh or slip off of a beaver dam, you know, safety first and coming home to, to Eric and the kids first. And so it's, it was a hard decision, but it was the right decision, um, to not go. I just didn't want to get in a, in a bad spot. Um, there's so many trees you have to scramble over so many rocks and boulders that are the trail and then the beaver dams, um, and then the lower areas where water pools up and you have to either go through it or around it which is became undoable when you're thinking about a very thin layer of ice and snow on top of that. Mm -hmm. uh, it just wasn't a good, wasn't a good option. So pulled the plug on that one for this year. So, and, and it's kind of a nice timing for you, Alex, in, in regards to the context of, you know, this is sort of a bonus run. Um, and, and so you're looking forward to, to um, these larger plans of linking and um, and sort of the horizon of of expanding what you want to accomplish mm -hmm. and having a, having a, a risky run now could potentially set you up for uh, maybe not being in that same place down the road. So how does this fit in with the future plans? Yeah, uh, well, the future plans still are to run the, the Border Route Trail and the keck and I'll run them east to west sequentially as I've done my other ones. Uh, and so it's, it's still, still very much a plan. I think earlier in the spring, so I'm going to, I'm targeting that for, for middle of May. Um, I still want to get out and see and get on the keck again before then. So I'll probably do a, a, a middle kind of later spring, uh, attempt of that, uh, ahead of time, but it's all just in part of this continuation of, of wanting to, to run it. And, and as far as I know, nobody's done the border route and the Keck um, contiguously. So I think it'll just be, it'll be that one, this one shot at, at being a first to do that and mm. at least to catalog the journey um, and to just keep, keep the tie going. That's an exciting uh, anticipation, especially I think going into this tumultuous winter um, and all the things that are happening to have something like that to look forward to, I would imagine that's helpful, just even psychologically to, yeah. to have something like that on the horizon. Uh, that, does it, is it pretty motivating for you at this point in time? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's definitely motivating. It's hard. I think <laughs> it's hard in Minnesota in to go running, uh, but this is definitely a, a, in the winter. Uh, there's definitely good reason and, and motivation to, to stay out there, uh, keep my legs in shape. Um, and yeah, just the planning, it's, it's fun to, to plan it and to get, get friends and family involved in it and just the excitement aspect of it all. Um, and I love planning our, our canoe trips and it's just a, it's a different set of logistics that goes into it all, but it'll be, it'll be great to get people, people out there. And there's some charters connected with I'm hoping to bring out that can come out for it and they'll be their first experience in the boundary waters and so it'll be fun to to introduce them to this area uh, as well going into this 
you know, this holiday season. And I think we're at this really beautiful place in our sort of national narrative of coming to understand things like Thanksgiving um, in light of sort of uh, a more complex historical narrative um, and understanding land and understanding indigenous peoples and mm -hmm. Um, you know, this, this whole movement of sort of relearning what a lot of these concepts um, mean for our present world. And, and it sounds like you're actually going through a lot of um, land with complex history, um, both in terms of indigenous peoples and, you know, colonialism and, and now like land protection complexity. Uh, how are you guys experiencing that as a family and moving into this Thanksgiving holiday? What kind of conversations are you having about that as a family? Yeah, we've talked to the kids a lot about about that. And then my posts, I always try to acknowledge, you know, the ancestral lands that we're on um, as just a basic uh, awareness issue. But um, I mean, it's hard. Uh, America, as we know it, displaced entire communities that were that were here first. Um, and just coming to terms and reckoning with that as our history and our shared history as, as Americans, uh, and what it's done for the people that are here first, um, as they've been segregated off into reservations that are generally some of the poorest, um, and least serviced, uh, communities in the, in the, in the continent. Um, so we talk about that with the kids, uh, a lot of appreciation and thanks for for the, for the people who cared for the land first. Um, grateful that the park system is set aside, but at the same time, the establishment of national parks and wilderness areas further blocked indigenous rights to those lands. And so there's, it's, a mixed history, it's a mixed history and it's a mixed bag. And there's unfortunately not a lot that we can do about that right now, other than recognize it, um, teach, teach it to the, the next generation, um, come to terms and to try to try to be better and to, to, to support um, the communities that were here first. And so it's ongoing conversations and the spot we're at right now, just across the river uh, where I'm looking at is a, is a reservation and behind that is a wilderness area. Uh, and so it's, it's a, there's a constant kind of awareness and reflection of, of the land and the people that are here first. Alex, I, I'm so grateful to hear how you're handling the complexity. Cause I think you're, I, I agree with you that there's, it's, there's not a clear um, way of action as we sort of work to become more educated and enlightened about history and our privilege and, um, and our responsibility to tell accurate stories. Um, so I, I'm really grateful to hear you and Erica lean into that as parents and just sort of um, having those hard conversations. And I think with Thanksgiving um, happening, um, it still is important to hold tradition in regards to holding like ceremonial experiences around these holidays and finding places of meaning in that that are valuable, um, like gratitude. So what are you and your family really grateful for? I think it's a great way to sort of summarize this conversation. Yeah, we, we actually go through a, an exercise for fairly regularly where we just ask the kids, you know, what are they, what are they thankful for? Um, it's almost always 
the first thing, and maybe it's just the easy answer, but it's, I think it's true in their eyes too. It's always, they say family. Um, and for, we're just really close uh, this year, if anything has brought us all closer, but we've been confined in the same space. The kids aren't leaving, you know, to go to a school building outside of the home and we're not leaving to go to our workplaces. And so <laughs> here we are. So I think the, the big thing is, is, is uh, grateful for our family and Stemming from there, I mean, we spent so much time because we could with e-learning and e-working at, at the cabin near the Boundary Waters and in in the Boundary Waters uh, now on this trip. And so it's just the thankful for our, our position in life where we're fortunate enough and privileged enough to have these experiences and um, definitely just marking that as, as appreciation. Mm. Thank you, Alex. Uh, I want to extend a big thank you to you and your family for continuing to make time to share with our Boundary Wars community, even from uh, Arizona. Uh, <laughs> and I can say that you have so many cheerleaders in this crew for the for the work that you're doing for the wilderness, for the um, amazing adventures that you're leaning into. Um, we're just really grateful and and wish you the best as as you continue to train through the winter and get ready for the spring. All right, well, thanks so much. Nice conversation with Alex, Matthew. Good to hear that update. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, Alex is a very inspirational human being. Uh, his passion for the wilderness and his, pas- his passion, period. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, personally knowing uh, he, him and his family, they're amazing folks and kind of folks that give me a lot of hope in what can sometimes seem like tumultuous and challenging times, especially in the holidays. I think it'd be helpful just to give a acknowledgement that for Many folks, if not most folks, moving through this holiday season can come with lots of emotional challenges, feeling isolated from friends and family. Um, no matter what holidays you celebrate, uh, for many people, the most important part of that is gathering. Mm-hmm. And, and and so it's an honor for us, wherever you're listening, that you're gathering with us and we'd like to send each and every one of you listeners some very special love from the wilderness and very special love to carry you through these hard times i think it's it's tough it is even uh i mean this trip and how we had to modify our plan you know what we were doing and bringing two vehicles two different camps you know that pales in comparison to the hard work that people have been doing sacrifices for you know, vacations, holiday plans, family get-togethers, uh, being with loved ones, healthcare workers. You know, all oh, those I frontline mean, folks that are literally risking their lives. Yeah, to keep other people safe. Exactly. So what we did by having to get an extra tent and drive a separate vehicle is next to nothing when it comes to this. You know, it's just an example that everything is being impacted, and and so we do hope this finds you well. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, turning the calendar, getting to 2021. There's still some hard times ahead, and 
uh, some adjustments we'll be making on the podcast, but we're looking forward to the new year and to cruising cruising along with the the stories of the Boundary Waters, and it's just an amazing place to be out here. On so many levels, Joe. I just want to say as we wrap up this episode and we look out as the sun lowers its arc in the sky and casts the most deep shadows across the snow-covered ice, across the balsam fir, the white pine, the spruce, even a few cedars, and to listen and hear nothing. That's a wonderful thing to be grateful for. It is. It's a, it's a beautiful late afternoon out here, changing into evening. And uh, thanks to everybody that's been along this journey with us in 2020. And happy holidays. Stay safe. And we'll see you next year. Hey, Joe, how about that evening bite? Is that a tip up? That's a tap up! Oh, my God! What are you doing? <laughs> You didn't even set the hook! <laughs> I just sing when I paddle Feeling not thinking if the strokes are true We're gonna get through to the other side Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Oh, roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll Rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around the campfire light All around, all around, all around The campfire light